Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. Social enterprises come in all shapes and sizes, but they are all created to fulfil a social or environmental purpose. What social purpose is created then when you bring young people and music together? I'll let Simon explain. My name is Simon Glenister. I am the founder and current chief exec of Noise Solution, which is a social enterprise that has been around for the last 15 years. Um, what we are concerned with, our mission, if you like, is to improve the well-being of young people who are often at points of crisis in their lives. Um, so young people who are dealing with challenges around mental health or exclusion from school uh, or any number of challenges. And to engage those young people, we essentially use the modality of music technology and beat making uh, and music production as a way to engage those young people. Uh, but that's done in a very specific way, informed by self-determination theory, uh, which is arguably the world's most well-evidenced framework for understanding engagement and motivation and improving well-being. What that states is that to improve engagement and motivation and well-being, we need to create spaces where young people experience a sense of control and autonomy in their environment, where they need to experience a sense of competence, uh, that they have something to contribute and where they feel connected to other people. So a sense of relatedness. So we're using the mentoring around music technology to create those three feelings uh, for young people. And it's been uh, very successful. So we have a huge investment in understanding outcomes, measurement and building a, a digital infrastructure to both capture, uh, understand and analyze the outcomes of the organization. And in fact, we've now developed it to a point where we believe aligning with those principles of self-determination theory, that it is actually improving outcomes itself. So that's quite an unusual, bold statement that you've got an outcomes analysis process that's improving outcomes. But I think that's where we're at. So you've spoken in depth there about what noise solution is. Can you tell me how it came about? So my, uh, I have a dubious past as a professional musician, uh, where I had, was very lucky and had uh, lots of record contracts and played all the major festivals and yeah, traveled the world, which was wonderful uh, and had a, a sort of specialization in music technology, um, as well as being a, a drummer. Uh, that was my main role. Uh, but yeah, developed a real obsession with music technology to actually eat <laughs> because being a professional musician only makes you emotionally rich, Pam, uh, not financially. You have to do other things. And I started volunteering many, many years ago for a, a youth offending organization in East London, uh, working with young people there, doing something called restorative justice. So getting victims uh, and perpetrators in the room together to talk to each other. And from that, I got a job within that team and then sort of developed this other sort of parallel career as a, a youth worker. Uh, essentially, but the youth working world as much, much of it's wonderful, um, but it became quite clear, I think, and I do wonder sometimes how much of this is sort of post rationalization, uh, but I, I, it became very, very clear that often those approaches to working with young people are extremely deficit based. They are about the problems around that that young person is experiencing. Um, and what actually was much, much more effective was to create spaces where kids uh, could basically create new narratives for themselves, new identities, 
where they were successful at something. It doesn't matter what the thing is, but I had the skill set around music technology. Music technology was something that young people were very, very interested in. It was like shooting fish in a barrel, talking to them about that stuff. But the organizations I was working in didn't really see the value in it. So I didn't have the space to do that. Um, so I set up my own social enterprise to do that exactly that. So you talk about the fact that what you do focuses on how doing something positive can benefit somebody. What are those benefits uh, that you see in the long term? I mean, well, the first piece that has to happen is engagement, right? Uh, a lot of the young people we work with are stuck in very, very negative cycles where they're not interested in talking therapies or engaging with professionals, or they've been over-promised to and under-delivered to by professionals, or a professional has come into their life and essentially nobody's doing this on purpose, but the cultures within mental health, uh, within education, within social work are often of a professional coming into that young person's life uh, and essentially, not overtly, but essentially coming in and saying, well, you're rubbish at this and you're not doing that properly and that's a really choice and why are you doing it like this and I'm the expert you listen to me we'll fix you and everything will be okay which is an entirely problematized medicalized model where you are as your first step undermining any sense of autonomy it's almost like the knee-jerk reaction of services is often to take the autonomy away of young people and you're also undermining any sense of competence you're making them feel incompetent these are not engaging or motivational strategies so for me, the benefits, noise station is very much uh, intended to be a short term piece of work about changing how that young person feels about themselves. It's not about fixing them. It's about creating a space where they experience these basic psychological needs of autonomy and competence relatedness, which are massively well evidenced. Self-determination theory has something like 1.8 million citations um, Dr. Ryan, who's one of the co-creators of, of that body of work, is literally the world's most cited psychologist. It's about motivation and engagement, and that has to shift. And I think fundamentally the cultures of many organisations are problematic in, in how they engage because of that medicalization and problematization. And unless you engage these young people and, and start to shift how, the, how they um, feel about themselves, they're not going to make the, the significant choices or they're definitely not going to sustain significant choices around engagement with their mental health team or school, you know, or whatever else it might be. So it's designed very much to take that understanding and create spaces and conditions where people are more likely to change how they make decisions because of how they've changed, how they feel about themselves. So it's supposed to be quick, short-term blast of these sort of nourishing feelings that we have to experience to flourish so that you can change trajectories so that they will then re-engage with education or re-engage with their clinical mental health team. And we see this again and again and again and again happening. So it's about unsticking people. So I think the benefits of this organization are that, um, and we have done uh, extensive social return on investment investigations on what the financial impact of that looks like. Now, social return on investment data is one piece um, of a whole bunch of outcomes data that we collect and look at. There isn't, there isn't any one piece of outcomes data that's going to magically demonstrate the efficacy of your organisation or what you're doing. Um, and I think historically, social return on investment data has 
been overblown by organizations because they're trying to please the funders and they're sort of producing these magic numbers. But when we did our social return on investment on what the impacts on well-being that we were having were likely to be worth, we stated that we wanted it to be a very, very, very conservative estimate for just those reasons. Um, and we are looking at outcomes like re-engaging with mental health teams, parents being able to re-engage with the job market because they are no longer having to look after their kids at home that have been excluded, um, kids being diverted away from acute mental health admission, um, the impact um, of behaviours on siblings being reduced, you know, those kind of outcomes. Um, and that the social return on investment uh, figure that was arrived at was 334% at a very, very conservative estimate so if you take a really really rough um calculation if you look at the turnover of the organization which isn't very large it's looking at being about half a million this year um then you know 334 percent return on that is at a conservative estimate it's pretty significant and one of the reasons for us talking today is the fact that the nhs turns 75 on the 5th of july 2023 Yay, NHS. Yay. And <laughs> you, you through Noise Solution, you and Noise Solution are involved with the NHS. How are you involved? How does that work? So we're currently part of the uh, Neurodiverse Pathway for Young People um, funded by the local ICS. So they fund a number of places uh, for us, um, for us to work. I think they fund 26 places a year for two years uh, with a, a possible extension. Uh, so it's not massive at the moment, but I mean, we also have worked, you know, for the last 15 years very closely in partnership with NSFT, um, the Norfolk Suffolk Foundation of Trust, uh, as well on their mental health team. Uh, funding has al always been a massive issue, uh, but essentially whenever we've gone out and identified funding, um, those teams, frontline teams have snapped them up. I think we had, we were at one point uh, last year, we were given funding for 20 places by the Arts Council. And we, we put an email out to those frontline teams, the, the mental health teams, and we filled all the places in an hour. Yeah, frontline teams really genuinely do value the work uh, that we're doing and the way that we work. Um, so yeah, I mean, so the, the involvement is, there's some systemic involvement, but some of it's ad hoc uh, as well. And quite a lot of it actually involves us doing the legwork, leg work, going out and finding the funding for them, then making those teams aware that it is available. Why do you think it's so important then that, that social enterprises such as yourself and Noise Solution um, get involved with the NHS? Well, because it needs as much help as it can bloody get, frankly. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty clear that mental health services are absolutely on their knees due to underfunding. No, you know, this is not a, a criticism um, of the people involved in the process, although I think there are some cultures, as I've said, that need to change. But yeah, so the local uh, mental health trust has failed its last four CQCs. It's technically been branded dangerous, technically, because of that level of underfunding. So, uh, you know, and I spend so much of my time listening to parents or dealing with parents who are trying to navigate these systems either within a, an educational paradigm or a mental health paradigm or context of you know social services or education whatever it might be and they're crushed and the kids are crushed as well 
so often because of the the waiting times the ever rising uh levels um that you need to achieve in your ill health to even be considered you know it's it's terrifying where it's at and again not not a criticism of the people a criticism of the funding children's mental health mental health in general uh, receives massively disproportionately less funding than physical health and within that young people's mental health receives even less you know the there is this question uh, for social enterprises of whether you know are we maintaining a status quo by helping and, and filling the gap possibly um i think yeah that's quite a troubling thought process to go into are we contributing and, and helping i mean hopefully i mean we certainly are for the individuals we work with but it's on quite a small scale uh, the level of the problem so the nhs data um released by nhs digital when was this they did a 2017 survey a quite large scale uh i think that um, identified one in nine young people were presenting with diagnosable mental health challenges and then they did a similar study after the first wave of the pandemic and that had changed to one in six um so that was over just a few years um let alone you know pan pandemic waves two three four and i think you know it, it's just so stunningly obvious the sort of tidal wave of, of mental health challenges that young people are facing and that that's why they're on their knees and that's why often a lot, you know parents are struggling to navigate that world um and we help where we can because that's our goal that's our mission is to help i mean you know we're not just exclusively dealing with the nhs we you know also, also dealing with education and uh, similarly on its knees also dealing with social services similarly on its knees these are these are systemic financial ideological decisions i believe one of the issues around using the nhs as the example here of course is that it's dependent on governments understanding and valuing the importance of the services that it provides but there is another issue that one that i believe is an issue is that mental health as an illness is only now being taken as seriously as a, as physical illnesses. Do you think that's a challenge that you are able to unpick within Noise Solution as you're working with young people? Um, we consciously don't. We are not there to be clinical mental health workers. We're not there to be social workers. We're not there to talk about problems. The point of the organization is to engage in a non-problematized non-medicalized paradigm model um, because that is sometimes part of the problem especially at the more extreme end uh, of things for young people we are there to create the conditions around which they are more likely to experience improved well-being well-being is a very nebulous term experienced by some people but actually if you do the research there's huge amounts of uh understanding and, and research that's gone into that over the years there is a reason well-being is pushed by has been historically over the last 25 years by both um, left and right leaning governments because the financial implications of improving well-being are unequivocally enormous um, improved well-being will 
lead to better outcomes around education, health, engagement, social outcomes. The work's been done. The evidence is there. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Genuinely changing how you feel about yourself uh, is hugely, hugely linked to more positive outcomes across the board. So what we're doing is taking the evidence on how to improve well-being, which is, again, these, these creating these spaces of autonomy, competence, relatedness, because that's more likely to lead to that person changing how they feel about themselves. The vehicle around which we do that happens to be music, but it could be anything. Um, you know, it, it could be any kind of uh, community arts program or knitting or walking for well-being, donkeys for well-being. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter um, what you will find whenever you see community programs or things on, I don't know, um, arts on prescription or any of those kind of models, uh, which always have these fantastic outcomes, no bloody funding, but fantastic outcomes. What you'll find is that within those spaces, people are being given a sense of autonomy and control choice, and they are being made to feel competent again, possibly against a backdrop where they've been made to feel incompetent for whatever reason, um, and they will feel connected to other people. It's fundamental. It's for us, it's not about unpicking, unpicking mental health problems. It's about changing how that young person feels. I mean, what I didn't talk about uh, when I talked about noise solution and what we do is the heavy investment in digital infrastructure uh, that we have. So when I talk about these things, autonomy and competence for us are inherent in this mentoring model um, that happens to use music and music technology because of the for a whole bunch of reasons I won't go into now. Um, but what we've also built within our CRM, within the organization's CRM, is our own social media platform that allows that young person or musician to capture their journey from within every session. Their thoughts and feelings um, are captured there as well in terms of sort of video conversations with the music musician on every within every session uh, so they can, can talk about how they're thinking and feeling about it. And then they're able to invite in family and carers and key workers into that digital feed. So we're creating a digital community around that young person where all of these people are viewing this change in narrative that this young person is developing for themselves as they, they change how they feel about themselves through their discovery of competence around what happens to be music. But that means that you are creating relatedness um, in this way that allows the both the, the key workers working with the young person and the family involved, you know, who are you know, the mothers or fathers or carers of that young person to all exist within the same space. And that doesn't happen anywhere else. All Everything else is siloed. You know, school happens over here. Mental health team happens over here. These other people aren't in the room within that experience. Whereas what we've built is the ability for everybody to be in the room without having to be in the bloody room, frankly, uh, which is a win. But at the heart of all that, the, the, the young person controls that process. You know, they have autonomy over who's invited into that group that they're sharing with on a weekly basis. They have the autonomy to decide, to de autonomy to decide what goes into that feed. You know, this, this idea of um, this, this theory of change around autonomy, competence, relatedness runs through everything we do, not only the intervention itself, but the design of a digital infrastructure that, that also plays to the strengths and, of that theory of change as well. So, you know, key workers, social workers, clinical mental health workers, head of years at schools, whatever, um, are automatically, if, if they've referred a young person 
you know, receiving an automated email every week saying, come and look at what Johnny or Jane's done this week. And they can see this young person. This young person is not treated as a problem to be solved. This young person is treated as an individual or seen as an individual in their own right, which changes conversations around that young person about what they're capable of. And I think that is different, if I'm honest, uh, in, in terms of a lot of services. I, I try not to sound too critical um, of what's going on, but I, I think there are issues. You know, however amazing uh, all these people are who are involved with, in these services, I think they would be the first to admit that there are issues as well, which is kind of what's great about the NHS. And that leads me to my next question, which is why then do you, I mean, clearly you, you understand and you, you know the importance of social enterprises being involved with the NHS. But if you could explain in a bit more detail why you think it's necessary for it to happen. And do you think that this is something now that will become the norm as social enterprises become more prevalent within our communities? Oh, well, I would rather it was social enterprise than private companies for a start. I mean, let's be quite clear, if I'm honest, it feels to me like the whole thing's being run into the ground on purpose for exactly that reason. That's probably not very politic of me to say that, but I don't really care because it's absolutely terrifying. So do social enterprises, could they fill that gap? Yes, potentially. I would rather trust somebody whose, you know, articles uh, and memorandums state that they are doing what they're doing for social outcomes rather than for financial gain. Yes. So that's worth looking at as an option. Um, I think social enterprises are able to be much, much more agile, especially at, at, at when they're smaller organisations like ours, which means they can develop new things. So, I, you know, we can develop something in terms of delivery and have it working next week. I think the research around developing new processes for the NHS puts it at 17 years before it's adopted. <laughs> you know again some issues um but if you can develop and demonstrate then it you know that, that process hopefully will be, be more likely to happen i guess you could probably look at social enterprises as r d in some cases but also but they don't have the heft and the scale of the nhs or the resources uh, as well so there are you know problems there so maybe that's the partnership finally what is in the future for noise solution what I am mostly excited about, I mean, apart from the outcomes for the young people and the families, obviously, is the further development of the digital side of things. I think, so we talk about social enterprises, but let's also be clear that everything is not groovy with social enterprises either, or third sector organisations, and they are inherently at demonstrating their outcomes. If we're honest, I think what we've built within this the, this sort of social media platform, within this CRM, with its ability, I haven't talked about all sorts of other stuff that it's doing. So it's also capturing NHS wellbeing metrics and analysing them automatically. So it's collecting quantitative data, assessing for statistical significance, range of change of wellbeing, comparing it against national data sets of the same scale. Um, so it's providing validated quantitative analysis automatically live of well-being data as participants uh, work with the organization as well as capturing their story told by them as they talk about their experience week on week and reflect about it 
So you've got equal qualitative and quantitative data happening without it being any resource impact on the organization because the collection of that data is part of the culture of the sessions themselves and it's utilizing the participants and the families existing knowledge of social media it presents as a social media feed literally with like buttons and the ability to comment and that's that's what families and key workers and mental health people are seeing but it's not open to the world it's a boundary held system so it's secure uh, and safe to use with vulnerable people and all that kind of stuff so you're collecting these beautiful stories Historically, in terms of outcomes analysis, um, large organizations like the NHS have valued the quantitative data, uh, but the criticism is always that you miss the stories in between the numbers. On the flip side, third sector organizations have historically waited till the end of a program, gone, I need to tell a funder what I've actually done and cobbled together two or three case studies after the fact. And Major funders have gone, well, that's very, very nice, pat on the head, but it's only three people, so it doesn't actually tell us anything. And these organisations have not been very good at the quantitative data. What we've built is an infrastructure that does both at the same time. The thing I'm excited about mostly is I hate, hate feedback forms with a passion. What we've built and proven we can do, though, which is much, much, much more interesting, is to gather reflective um, exit videos for want of a better term or or these sort of weekly reflections in much more naturalistic video conversations and what we can do is extract the audio from that start to sentiment analyze what people are saying whether it's positive neutral or negative but even more importantly potentially well we've built it so we know it can work it doesn't work in a way that we can um actually roll out yet but it's not going to be far off um it's the ability to within that 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 sort of textual data uh, of people just reflecting naturally pick out linguistic concepts around autonomy competence relatedness so that we can see whether they are or are not happening as somebody progresses through so you are talking about a paradigm shift of moving towards live well-being analysis as people go through rather than what's happened for 100 percent of history which is the you know analysis of something after the fact that's what i'm excited about that was simon glenister ceo and founder of noise solution you can find out more about the cambridge center for social innovation by following us on facebook instagram linkedin twitter and youtube